Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Coach Torrey, it has been forever. <laughs> In podcast land, it has been forever. I think our last episode released was Adam Burns which was a long time ago. Yeah, uh, just a quick update on Coach Burns. He just had a scan yesterday, and I think everything's looking okay. Great. So his cancer is still there and still impacting his daily life. But I'll tell you this. I told our kids about Cal Ripken Jr. on the first day of practice, and we talked about starting a streak, right? Mm -hmm. Because Orioles fans every day from 1982 to 1998, they always knew who the shortstop was going to be in the lineup. It was Cal Ripken Jr. I mean, 2,632 games. And uh, so I told our kids, start your own streak. Well, Coach Burns did not miss one practice this year uh, amid all of his chemo and and radiation treatments and visits to Omaha, which is about an hour and a half away. Didn't miss one football activity. And uh, that was our challenge to our kids. 17 of our kids didn't miss anything either. But to the other kids, it's like, here's Coach Burns, and he has every reason not to be here or not to be competing or not to be making this a priority right. and yet he does so incredible human being he's still fighting his fight it's still an uphill battle but just want to share that quick update yeah it's a that's remarkable that he hadn't missed a day you know how many times i think back how many times we have like days that we're we just feel bad we're like ah can i can i take a rain check on this one can i do this and this guy's fighting for his life, and, you know, he, he's not missing. That's incredible. Incredible. Yeah, and I think it comes down to what are your priorities, right? And we all know 15- to 18-year-old kids have a hard time with prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Some adults do as well, but um, it makes it a lot easier to go to practice when you know he's got bigger things there and he doesn't need to be there, and he is. Gives, gives new meaning to make the main thing the main thing. 100%. So... Well, thanks for that update on uh, Coach Burns. But we have a really cool topic to jump into. Um, you know, I, I did some research. I went back and I said, let me just go and look what all we've done. And I was in the study hall. And our kids were like, tell me about your podcast, kind of like what your kids do, right? And uh, today we talked about 10 to the 4th and the monkey trap. We went back to culture cues. And I just shared with them with that. And then I looked back and I was like, man, we've been doing this thing for – Going on three years now, it'll be three years in January of where we've evolved. And no matter if it's 30,000, 60,000, 100,000, or one person, uh, such a, in, a, in a time of Thanksgiving, I'm thankful to keep doing this with you, even though I've never met you in person still. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I appreciate it. And uh, you've helped me reach a new level, maybe a level that I wasn't able to get to by myself. And that's what I tell people all the time. Find someone who's willing to go in the trenches with you and then just do it. Yeah. And even if you don't know them or even if you're not sure where it's going to go, just try it. Take the opportunity. And right. um, I'm just grateful for lots of opportunities. But I'm a different coach now than I was in 2017. And that's in all phases of my life, on the yeah. field, in the classroom, at home, on social media. Uh, so I just appreciate the platform we've created yeah. and grateful for our listeners who give us the platform. Yeah, it goes back to what Brian Kite said. How many people listened before I started? And we're like, uh, he got zero. 
So even if it's one out there that we're impacting or if it's 100, uh, thankful for our listeners that tune in. Uh, now you get some new material. You don't have to go back and listen to season one through eight again. Uh, you get some new material today. And Coach Tori, um, you've hit me up with four or five different topics today. We're going to talk about your call sheet. And I want to go into the offensive mind of football where it's not the three yards in a cloud of dust anymore. Uh, it is basketball on grass. There's a lot of different things that are going on in football now. RPO, either it's if you're from the Midwest, I think it's run pissed off or it's a run pass option. So you can get into that. But I think a lot can be said about offensive coordinators and offensive coaches in general. So you think about pass game coordinators, run game coordinators, head coaches, how they put a plan together. But more importantly, how you take Monday through Thursday and then get it to that call sheet on Friday of what's going to maximize your potential. Because a lot of times you see on NFL games, that call sheet is really big. And it's got highlighted notes and this. And for me, it's like a, a Sudaku puzzle, right? You don't know, like, where does where does this number go? Where does this fit? But uh, you share with me a call sheet idea. And let's talk about that a little bit more at length in this episode. No, I think it's great. And I know we're culture people, but mm -hmm. this is kind of where culture meets scheme a little bit because your call sheet should really reflect both, in yeah. my opinion. It's a little bit of your culture and it's a little bit of your scheme. And then it's more about the application. How can we bring the two together right. and apply it? And I agree. I, I notice all these guys on the sidelines at college games or NFL games, and they've all got these massive call sheets. You're not running everything on that call sheet. No. So we we make that classic mistake in our program too we've got this huge call sheet it's not really very specific in my opinion it works for other people um and it gives us a roadmap. but i bet we only call 40 percent of what's on there right so then it's like what the hell is the other 60 percent doing on there that's kind of how i look at it and we all know the game of football anymore if you're going to be effective and it's really anything the the simpler you can make it the more effective and easier it is to understand and that's what high school kids need, in my opinion. Yeah, I go back and being a former OC, and this goes back to 2010, 11, 12, 13, before I took a different role here at MRA. I was the OC. And even before then, I was an offensive coach. And it evolved each year. I would find myself like, I need this play, and I need this play, and I need this play. And it, you go back to culture and the scheme of it, like how many times do we fill our mind with stuff that's useless? Right? Same thing with a call sheet. If it's not going to help – a, you know, every play is designed to score a touchdown or a situational deal. Like, that needs to be thrown out. So the, the crazy part is that 40%, and you're exactly right, 40, I don't even, probably 30% of the play call sheet of those huge sheets, they don't even get looked at. But it's there because you think about this, coaches, what do they want? They got to have stuff. They got to have stuff. What if? What if? The what if? So Herb Hand, who's been all over at Auburn and he was at Vanderbilt, but he said to me one time we were at a, at a camp, he goes, don't be a what-ifer. Don't be a what-ifer. Know what you want to call and call it. There it is. And, uh, and I think that goes back to establishing your identity, what mm -hmm. you want as a, as a team, like what's your mm -hmm. offense going to be known for in this case. Um, I think it goes back to what are your tendencies. Because like, we, we scout ourselves on a daily basis. Right. So we know our tendencies better than anybody else. Now, other people might pick up on that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to your values. What do you stand for? And until you really thought, what is my philosophy in the red zone? I'm not sure you can like, you're not, you're not comfortable probably calling plays. Right. 
Um, you know, a lot of times, and and I watch games, and you watch games. I know our listeners watch games, and you're wondering like, why did they call that play in this situation? Why do they call this play? What made them call this? Or, you know, so if we're gonna get into what a call sheet is and and how to, I guess, frame it up to to help you prioritize practice, maybe, but. There are situations that happen in your team with culture. There are situations that happen in a football game. Uh, those two kind of marry each other. Like, you're not going to call first and ten versus third and one. That should not be the play, same play call. Versus if you have a, a crisis on your team versus if something is going, you know, like first and ten, really good and smooth and all that. Like, I think about us. We were one and three. Walls were caving in versus we're eight-game win streak right now. So we're, you know, so anyway, just a different way to look at it. Um, we'll just knock on wood with that win streak and uh, hope you keep it up and go number nine here for the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's good. And, I, you know, one of the things I had to do with my master's class was put together a call sheet. That was one of the assignments done by Jerry Campbell. He was my professor. Phenomenal football leader. Uh, over 30 years in the business. He's got all kinds of materials out there. Uh, so for our listeners who might be familiar with Coach Campbell, uh, that was my professor in my master's class. And so I put together a generic call sheet, and I used it for a while. But the more I read and the more I think and the more I want to put my own fingerprint on what things are in our offense, uh, I've kind of uh, – if I'm a purple cow in all aspects of my life, I might as well be a purple cow in the call sheet too, right? Right, right. So – I've kind of built this prototype and maybe you agree with it or disagree with it. It's a prototype. It's a work in progress. Like all of our call sheets sheets should be. I'll share it with our listeners. Uh, Cause I want feedback as much as anything else to refine the process, but I'll just kind of walk you through what I've created. And uh, as always, I want feedback. I want your opinions. Um, Cause this is my professional development, right? As a, as a play caller, as a coordinator, as an offensive coach, this is where I get PDs in conversations with people right. like you. Right. So just going top to bottom on the call sheet, um, we, we always script our openers. And that kind of varies from week to week. Some weeks we start out with three opening plays. Sometimes it's five or six. But these are the plays that you want to get out right away. That These are the, the plays you've scouted against a, a particular defense, what you think they're going to line up in. Or... Another way that I do openers that's a little bit different is I figure out what guys need to get touches right away because we all have our dudes that we like. And my opinion is I want my running back to have one touch in the first few plays of the game. I want my number one receiver to have a touch right away in the game. I want my quarterback, if we're going to run him, I want him to get a touch right away in the game. Uh, so that then they'll be better on as the game goes on. The longer you wait, in my opinion, to get your best guys touches, the worst they're going to play throughout the game. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, I totally agree. I, I think you got to think players, not plays. And I think about our quarterback. I want short, quick throws. They're going to maximize efficiency and get our quarterback comfortable. I want our running back to get in the game. So maybe you run your quarterback a little bit more in the first you know, two series. But definitely uh, you want to definitely get those play callers. Um, thank you. Get those, uh, you know, number one receiver, uh, number one. And look, even if you're a pass-happy team, I, I'd want to spread it around a little bit and get those guys in the game because a lot of times when you when you open up a series, and I don't know if you script play, like if you script your first 10 or whatever, 
Uh, I know a lot of coaches do that. You script your first five to seven, maybe your first ten plays, and you're you're able to see, hey, this is what I want to get. And a lot of times it's also formation. How how can I get the defense aligned in these and I can get them on film and, and see them on huddle sideline or game strat or whatever you use. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree. Get those guys, those dudes, the ball early um, and let them be in the game because the worst thing you can do is, you know, say our number one receiver doesn't touch the ball, John, until four minutes left in the first quarter. What's that doing to his psyche? What, I mean, how are we helping him? But it goes back to, you know, think players, not plays a lot yeah. of times. No, it's a great way to put it. And, uh, I mean, it comes down to my philosophy is I want our running back to have 15 to 20 touches a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we all have our dudes, the guys that we are dynamic to our offense. And so get them 10 to 15 touches a game. Like, why save them? You know, I've got season tickets to Nebraska, and I don't know why in the world we don't use uh, Austin Allen more in the intermediate passing game. They will for a little period of time, and then they'll go away from him for a half, and they'll come back later in the game. And it's like that guy should be getting 10 to 15 (laughs) catches every single game for 8 to 15 yards at a time. Right. So – that's kind of how I think too. And again, it's players, not plays. I think it's a great way to, to simplify that. Um, and so get those guys involved early. And then I think the other thing is keep the main thing, the main thing. Mm-hmm. So like we use sweep in our program the last couple of years to really set up a lot of things that we do, whether it's play action or whether it's a passing game or whether it's trap or we're coming back with the fullback uh, on, on a dive the other way. Sweep is kind of our linchpin to everything in our offense uh so if you're a jet team i mean find ways to get jet established early Mm -hmm. so that you can have more success and add more wrinkles or if you're a spread team and you want to really sling the ball around a lot i mean find ways to get those rhythm throws like you said established early on so then everything else builds what i what i really like as i'm looking at your sheet is on the very left, because everybody has first and ten, second and short, second and long, third and short, third and long. Um, I like on the very left side of your zones, of establishing those zones, is philosophy of what do I want. And it's not even for a coach, but your you know players take on the coach's identity, especially in play calling. Like go on to, you know, quick game here. Do not pull. Like that's just easy reminders to help set up so you're not only does the coach know you're going to practice like this. Do I yes. take a shot? Do I not take a shot? Uh, sometimes teams have shots built in to where you know we're we're going to try and take this shot, but it, it's going to be built in to maybe it's a read or a or a handoff if they're too high or something like that that goes in. But it's little mind triggers that brings it back. But I think you go back to establishing the identity of what you want your offensive team to be. Um, me, I was always a pass-happy guy. I mean, I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, look, we're not the air raid, but we like to throw the ball. Well, what that told me, throw it. But last Friday night, I looked at our run game coordinator. I said, Coach Williams, can you go, please just go tell. We, we need to run the football. We need to run the football. Because there's times you have to run the ball, but it sets up your identity. And if your coaching staff's doing a great job of selling their unit, then the, the play caller's identity comes, you know, are you calm, are you reserved, are you energetic, are you like Lane Kiffin and you're throwing your clipboard in the air, um, do you have a scowl face? I mean, I think a lot of that goes into 
the offensive team, just like a defensive coordinator, you know, and the team kind of takes on that coordinator's identity. Well, and you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So your emotions are either a roller coaster in a game, or you are allowing your team to have their roller uh, that roller coaster right. of emotions going on in a right. game. I mean, it, it's exactly right. Like Monday through Thursday, your job as an offensive coach should be to install the game plan in yep. chunks so that kids are familiar with it and they get in these spots and they go, oh yeah, th- it should be predictable for them. Right, right. So, I don't know, another way I organize my call sheet, we can get back to the philosophy as we go a little bit, but I read Mark Rick's book this season. Uh, it's called Make the Call. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really good. But one of my biggest takeaways was how he divides the field. And I know a lot of call sheets that I see are first, second, you know, third down, long, short, just like what you're describing. And a lot of coaches will uh, script the plays they want to run from the hash, from mm-hmm. the middle of the field, the right hash, the left hash. One of the ways that Mark Rick did it was he divided the field into chunks. So he called it the black zone from the goal line to about, the, I, I define the black zone as to from the goal line to about the 10. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it goes farther and farther. And each part of the field kind of is assigned a different color. Well, I put my own spin on it because I'm a purple cow, like we talked about earlier. But I think the black zone is when you're backed against the wall and it's the minus 10 to the goal line. Mm-hmm. And then using the get back to green philosophy, because I teach that with our kids. So, like, if you're backed against the wall and you're out of the black zone, I mean, now we're in the red zone, right? We're red. Like, and it doesn't make any sense for people that have been following football to call it a red zone, but because really it's your opponent's red zone. But from the minus 10 to about the minus 40, I consider that to be the red zone. Like, that's the danger area for me as a play caller, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we're going to turn the ball over or whether we're going to have to punt and not be able to flip the field. Uh, that that's a really sketchy part of the field for me. So I look at the minus 10 to the minus 40 as the red zone. And then building off that from the minus 40 to the positive 40, that's the yellow. Like we're making progress. Our drive's not stalling. We're trying to move the ball or we are moving the ball, uh, but we're not really in scoring range yet. So I consider that yellow. And then we work to the shot zone, which for me, philosophically, I like to take a shot if we have first and 10 from the opponent's side of the 40. So when we get to the plus 40 yard line and it's first and 10 and we got a little bit of momentum and our drive's going, maybe we've made a few first downs, I'm going to take a shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it on first or second down so I don't put us behind the eight ball. Um, but that's a, a thing that I've had to think about and define where am I going to take my shots during a game. Right. And then so the shot zone is from the plus 40 all the way to the end zone. And that's where you can get those big chunk plays as well. And then get back to green. I mean, where do we want to live? We're going to be the happiest inside the 20 to the end zone. Yeah. So that's the green zone. And I know a lot of teams call it a money zone or, or whatever. So green's the color of money. Green's the color of happiness. Green's what we want for our athletes to establish flow. But for me, I start chunking the field out into those areas of black, red, yellow, green, and hopefully we end with touchdowns. Yeah. I like what you did with yellow. As I thought it's kind of a caution. Like you're not, I thought about a traffic light when I saw it before you even explained it. The yellow is, that's kind of that caution area. Like I'm, I'm good, midfield, happy medium. Um, we can punt, but we can still be a little bit more. Our play call sheet is wide open. Um, 
But then you go to the shot zone and the green zone, and uh, green means go for me. Like, it's go time. Like, we are there. We have to. And, look, our green zone is the 30 in. We tell ourselves that we have to score from the 30 in. Anytime we reach inside the 30, we got to score. So that's where ours would differ right there. But I love how you've divided it in chunks to where now our kids, so go back to philosophy on it. You practice this. You're not going to call a black zone play in the yellow zone. Right. So your kids can go through the week. And we know, I mean, coaches do this, right? But do they verbally say, hey, we're minus, we're in the red, or we're in the black zone. Uh, it's third and two. Here's what we're running. So when you get to yes. Friday night, it's all about visualization. The same stuff that you do with the running back, same thing y'all do, I think you still would do with your team about visualizing and playing the game. Same thing you yes. want to do Monday through Thursday. Well, and one of the things that we do that's a little bit different is uh, we gather our offense on the sideline, like between the numbers and the sideline, we just gather and make sure we have 11, make sure we have the right personnel we want to head out onto the field. We do that before the drive starts. And so I think using the color scheme of black, red, yellow, green, I mean, you can coach that from the sideline. Okay, guys, we're in the yellow zone, so you know what to expect here. Or, um, all right, guys, we're in the red zone, so it, it should be predictable. Like the kids should know that and know where they are in the field. And you build football IQ, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. Because um, it goes back to you're either coaching or allowing it. Because if you don't verbalize that, I mean, what we know is great, but we're not going to play it down on Friday night. We're not playing. Yeah. So yes. our kids, when they, I think that's super powerful. Uh, we don't do that. When we identify the, the green zone as the 30 and in, we got to score. And we practice, but we don't have them labeled as zones. Right. So you've challenged and, and me so to, to show our, our new OC that. What I love about the color scheme, what I love about you starting at the 30 for your green zone is it's up to us, right? Mm-hmm. It's up to us, the leader, to be intentional about what we're teaching and how right. we're teaching it. And it can be done 90 million ways. That's right. Like I got the idea from Mark Rick. This is not Mark Rick's. To each, um, to each his own, right? Yes. Yes. And then, you know, you get what you teach. So, like, what whatever the expectation is, that's what the kids are going to follow through on. And you can coach it. And if they struggle with it at first, then we'll coach it and we'll get better. And we do that all the time, whether it's scheme or other things in our program as well. Yes. So, it's just another way to look at it. And I want to share a specific example that happened to us this season in the black zone. So, again, the black zone is from the goal line to the minus 10. Right. We mishandled the kickoff, uh, and we were down 14 nothing in this game early on, first four or five minutes of the game. Uh, we mishandled the kickoff, and all of a sudden, we've got first and 10 at the two-yard line. Okay, so we got to go 98 yards. Now, that is a recipe of disaster in high school football. Not to mention the probability of scoring on that is way low. <laughs> no, you're not trying to score. And I think that's what the zone thing can help you, too, is we're trying to move from the black to the red. Right. Like we aren't going to score until we get to the 40 and we enter the shot zone. And even then we might not score until we get to the green zone. So it's almost like we need to do other things right. We need to get some momentum going in our direction before we can even think about scoring. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of teams, you see them panic when they're down 14, nothing early in a game. uh, And they start to like throw out the game plan. They scrap the run game. It's, it's five wide and spread and four verts down the field. And, that's not why we game plan, right? I, I've heard it this way. 
So you like hamburgers, don't you? Hey, I'm from the Midwest. We love beef. All right, so you love steak then. But you bet. You think about a good hamburger. So you think about in the passing game. I've heard it said once that, you know, you can take, I can eat a lot of hamburgers, like really good hamburgers, whether it's Five Guys, In-N-Out, you name it, right, wherever you want to go. They're not as expensive as steaks. Well, they might be right now with inflation. Who knows? They might be, I mean, you might, whatever. But steaks are more expensive. So anytime our quarterback, and what triggered my mind was when you were talking about taking shots and people panicking, we used to tell our quarterback, take the hamburger. Take the hamburger. Yes. Less expensive. It's easy. And that's just a verbal cue. Take the hamburger. Take the hamburger. Where then you can create your shots. And look, I love eating steak just like the next person. But I don't go eat steak every night. That's like a once in a month type deal. But I can eat a hamburger twice, three times a week, right? Real inexpensive. Same thing as those short intermediate throws. So take the hamburger versus taking the steak. And I think about that in those zones. What are you trying to accomplish? So your steak zone would be your shot zone. Your hamburger zone better be the black zone. I just added it to the call sheet because I love it. Under the philosophy part, when we're in the red zone, we're in the yellow zone. Take the hammer, right? Like, don't make the game harder than it has to be, especially when you're sure. struggling early on. Sure. Like, take what the defense gives you. That's just good football. That's not anything that's rocket science to coaching. That's just good football. So it's such an easy way, and it's memorable. Yep. Um, but the whole idea is you're going to get a good meal. It's not what you want, but it allows you to live, right? And then you can continue to get what you want maybe later on. So I think it's a great way to look at it. Yeah, I love a good hamburger. I can right. afford a good hamburger. I can't afford steak every day. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and so, but we see it all the time in football, right? Where teams panic and they throw the game plan out the window and all of a sudden they start buying steak. Yeah, a lot of it. They want high USDA, give me prime choice, give me that. And then next thing you know, you're down 21 rip, 28 rip, because now you've had to punt. There's not enough time. I mean, the, you've seen the, the same song and verse on Saturdays and even on Sundays in the NFL. Yes. Well, so so back to my analogy. We're down 14 nothing in this game. Uh, we hit, mishandled the punt. We're on the minus two. And in our offense, we run a version of the buck sweep. So we've got pulling guards. And uh, there was a, a call that should have happened that didn't, you know, because that's football, right? So when you're down 14 nothing right away in the game, the officials aren't really uh, thinking you're a quality program anyway. And so half of our coaching staff and half of our players are yelling at the official who's already made the call against us and, and blah, blah, blah. And that's part of the reason we're backed up at the two. Well, the, you know, we don't have – we're in the red with our, you know, back to green. So we're not thinking clearly. Back to the story, it, we're at the minus two yard line. Adversity had just hit. The officials are not happy with us. Half of our sideline, half of our coaching staff is in the officials' ear. Not going to end out well for us. Um, we're at the minus two. And we should have been probably at about the 12. But instead, you know, it's, it's the minus two. And uh, we run buck sweep, two pulling guards. Guy crosses our face from one of the pullers. And we end up getting a safety. And it comes down to what we didn't do was we didn't define what should we do when we're backed against the wall in the black zone. And so just real quick to build off that example, I think you should go on too, because the reward is worth a lot more than the risk. So if we're at the minus two yard line and we go on two, and one of our guys jumps, what do we lose? A yard? yard. Yeah. You know, versus 
if uh, an over-aggressive defense, that could get us five, and all of a sudden we're getting closer to that mm-hmm. red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, also, don't pull, right? Learn from the Monarchs this season. Don't pull. Uh, wedge block. Run dive. Use your quick game. Maybe even spread the defense out. Change tempo. Go up tempo. And I've even seen, like, Mark Rick even talk about, like, taking a shot. Have one shot play so that you can eat steak, you know, yeah. or gamble on steak and maybe – Maybe get one that's uh, that's worth something that that costs the price of a hamburger, right. but have that in your back pocket. So it just goes back to defining what you want mm-hmm. and then knowing where you are and then teaching your players the situation. Yeah, I think that's so valuable. You know, even in today's fast-paced offenses that you see, uh, Nebraska, Ole Miss, Florida State. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Unless you're playing a military academy, but yeah identifying each zone kind of helps your kids understand and comprehend this is what we're going to be running. So. Well, and I think it's another way you can build your identity, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that way when I make a mistake in a game because it's going to happen and I call buck sweep and we're in the black zone, my quarterback can be like, no, Coach Story, that is not mm-hmm. who we are. That's right. Like that's- and I'll be like, okay, you know what? You're right. Let's go with, uh, let's go with 32 dive. Right. Something like that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think a lot of times, going back to call sheets too, is a lot of times, I guess it's ego-driven or coach-driven that we know more than the kids know, but the kids are the ones out there playing it. So it's like push pause and say, what are you seeing out there? And coach, I think we should run those. I think you should run this. I think you should run... Apache Wright Sprite or something with the overhang. I'm seeing this, whatever you want to call it, right? So I think also in your call sheet, you got to have some leeway to what are our kids seeing because they're out there seeing. I mean, we're we're not at a 40,000-foot view, but we're at a disadvantage because they are getting the best look at it straight on where we're skewed from the sideline. Absolutely. Like they're the ones like in the trenches, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got firsthand information. We might see the big picture like you're talking about. And a lot of us have a replay system now for Friday night so we can watch the replay. Right. But that doesn't help you for the next play. Right. It doesn't. A lot of so, times the kids, the kids know best sometimes, you know. No, totally agree. And you know what? If you're not having conversations with your players anyway, that's a red flag in my opinion because they're the ones that got to do it. They're the ones that... You know, and that's where ego goes into it. And it's almost like, hey, get down on their level a little bit. And uh, and then that, th- then they respond because they they feel like you value what they're contributing. And it's a conversation. It's not a, I told you to do this and you didn't do it. All right. well, I want to share the story with you. So Sean Payton and Drew Brees, two from the Saints. I'm a huge Saints fan. But I saw this on a documentary that Monday and Tuesday – and Wednesday, they would go through the play call sheet. And they would go through and they, after each practice, what did you like, what didn't you like, what did you feel comfortable with, what did you not feel comfortable with. Because you want your quarterback to be comfortable with everything. It's an extension of you on the field, essentially, as an yes. offensive coordinator. And if Drew did not like or feel comfortable with X, X, Y, or Z play, they threw it out. So they only brought to Sundays what he was comfortable with during the week. And they would meet after every practice. So Wednesday to Thursday would kind of be like game plans in. Yes. And if Drew didn't like it, they took it out. Now, I'm pretty sure there were some 
discussions of like, I like this play because the defense is going to do this. And maybe Drew goes, I don't like this because I don't feel comfortable running this play because of whatever reason. So I think there's some, some give and take that goes into that. But think about if you were an OC and you brought your high school quarterback in after each practice and say, what would you like, what didn't you like? What did you feel comfortable with, what didn't you feel comfortable with? And you were honest. No, I think it's so, you know? so valuable. Um, we had our senior quarterback go down in camp. And so then all of a sudden we're playing a sophomore pretty much the whole season. Mm-hmm. It's like there's going to be a lot in the game plan the sophomore is not comfortable with. Right. So we have to get him ready. And you might have to strip everything way down and make it manageable. But I totally understand what you're saying with they have to be – they're an important piece in the game plan. Yeah, I mean, they're the only person – on the football field, besides the center that touches the play every time. Yes. Um, funny story about our quarterback this year, sophomore. I write game day notes just like you do. We've talked about that on our podcast, nothing new. Um, my hero growing up was John Elway. And so one of the game day notes that I'm writing to our quarterback this past year talked about how Elway believed third down is on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So the coaches, they got first, they got second down, and they'll handle fourth down when you get into that third down is up to the quarterback to extend the play and move the sticks. And so um, on my call sheet, one of the parts of my philosophy when we get to the green zone is to win the four point plays. In other words, a four point play, and this comes from Belichick in new England, but a four point play is in the red zone or when you're on the plus side of the field. And if you can on offense, if you can convert third downs, you have an opportunity for seven points, not three. If you're a defense, you're trying to stop the third down conversion so that you hold them to three max and not seven. And so it's a four-point play either way. Yeah. So right. I part of my philosophy is win the four-point plays. And I wrote that to my quarterback, and he's rolling out because roll game is a big part of our third down package. And he's rolling out, and he's close to our sideline, and he ends up finishing the play, holding on to the ball, slinging it last second, getting driven to the ground about two feet in front of me. And he converted. We moved the sticks. The game keeps going. Our drive keeps going. And he goes, Coach Story, when he gets back up, he goes, third downs on the quarterback. And <laughs> it goes back to your coaching it or allowing it to happen. That's right. What a great what a great story. Uh, Real-life application to something that you saw in red and how Elway transpired through that. I mean, that's just it's good stuff. I mean, those are stories that I think every high school coach in America has those type of stories where, you know, the player questions, why am I doing this? Or is this really how this happens? And then they see it come to fruition. And then it's like the light bulb goes off, you know, like, oh, this is why yeah. we do that. This is why the four, this is why third downs on the court. This is why I have to extend plays. So yes. good stuff. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about with the call sheet, Coach Weaver, and again, blow holes in it for all you listeners out there. If you like it, use it. It's a Google Doc file, make a copy, make it your own. If you hate it, that's fine. Do your own thing. Like, I don't care. You are going to offend me zero by saying this is, you know, might might be the biggest piece of crap you've ever seen in your life and not have any idea what the heck that has to do with football. Uh, the last two things, though, three, three categories at the bottom, actually, are four-minute offense, two-minute offense, and then two-point plays. And for us, we run the swing and gate. So two-point plays are uh, built into what we do anyway. But it's still nice to have a couple go-tos. I mean, I just go back to the Eagles in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, you know, with the Philly special. 
you never know. You don't necessarily have to wait for a two-point conversion to run a two-point play. It might be third or fourth and short. You might be on the goal line somewhere uh, and need a little bit of extra magic. So it's always nice to have those defined. Four-minute offense is, I think, the thing, and you and I have talked about it with the middle eight. I, I think people are doing four-minute offense in college. I'm not sure how many coaches have their four-minute offense defined in high school yet. Mm. Um, I just think it's really important that you have it on there. And uh, just some of the philosophies are stay with your identity, you know, use the inter intermediate passing game, uh, sidelines. If you don't have timeouts, you can still run the ball. Everything's available to you. The main thing is though, move the sticks. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of teams get complacent and they call not to lose instead of keeping the same momentum. And you can kind of see it transpire even on Sundays or Saturday afternoons. And you notice that, hey, they're calling not to, not to lose. And then uh, that ends up hurting the team in the end. I, obviously, I don't know the percentages or whatever, but for me, the four-minute offense also is like, keep doing you. Yes. you know, just keep doing you. Keep moving the sticks. Don't, don't scrape everything out just because, oh, you have a lead or you're behind or whatever it is. Um, so I think that's – I like the four-minute. How many times have we seen four-minute offenses fizzle out in the yellow zone, too, from the 40 to the 40? Mm -hmm. You know, so you're not really going to score. Everyone knows you're not going to score. That's what you're talking about. Maybe you get a couple first downs. You got some momentum, but then you don't do anything with it. I, I feel like four-minute offense really stalls out in the yellow zone. Yeah, it's a great point. Great point. All right, going to your two-minute offense, though. We were playing – I think we were playing Pulaski this year in Arkansas. Uh or Simpson, somebody, and Coach Dave was like, oh, let's run two-minute offense right here. Let's get something going, and we throw a shot and we score. It's like, well, are we talking about the under two-minute offense or the under the 10-second offense? You know, so we take the st we took the stake, we took it, and we scored. And I was like, well, there, okay, defense, you're up. So uh, two-minute offenses are also uh, – I like working those in practice because I yes. think there's so many times you can use that two-minute up. And then tell yourself, like, two minutes, no, no timeouts. Yes. And I think the other thing, too, is uh, for me, when I think two-minute offense, I think in terms of plays. Uh -huh. So typical play, six seconds, we'll just say, in high school football, maybe even eight seconds, eight or nine seconds. Mm -hmm. But if there's 54 seconds left on the clock, you know, don't think, oh, man, I've got 54 seconds to make something happen. Instead, in my opinion, start thinking it in terms of plays. I've got – I got six to nine plays here that mm. I can get something going. I love that. I never thought of that. Because I'm, I'm like what you just said in the beginning. I got 54 seconds. Oh, I got 54 seconds to play with this. And I'm not thinking how many plays can I get in in that amount of time if I divide it out. And you're looking, I mean, nine and seven's 54, so seven seconds. So nine, maybe eight. And then you're talking high school, and the depending if you're home or away. How fast is that guy in the press box with the clock turning it off? Uh, Are you playing at home or not that week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a, I didn't even think about that. So it, it's just an easy way. But, again, you can teach that. And kids get it. When you say, oh, you know, we every play is about six minutes. I mean, all of a sudden, like, kids are like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. Six seconds. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, but yeah. Um, kids get it. And then they can start to see its application. Yeah. So they they feel the urgency when they're under when we're under in a minute. It's like yes, oh, we got thirty seconds. Also, There's thirty seconds on the clock. I got about five plays, or yes. four, or four depending yep. on what we do. 
that also will help your team stay green so that you don't panic, so yes. you don't feel like, I mean, because 54 seconds sounds like not very much time, but seven plays, oh, okay. You in seven plays, you know, you can do that in a team period, right? And that, just yes. chill out. And I think it's also having a plan for that. Make sure that you have a yeah. plan for that two minute over. So great job. I love the call sheet. Thanks. I won't, I won't uh, blow holes in it. Hey, it's fine. <laughs> And it's, it's a work in progress like everything else is. It'll get better as people give feedback. But uh, culture meets strategy in this episode. Really appreciate our listeners. And I appreciate, reach out to me. Like, hit me up. If you've got suggestions or things that I can do that or things that need to change or things that maybe you identify with or whatever or want to know more about, hit me up. Yeah. Uh, man, what an what a awesome time to be back in the classroom. Hey, we got more work to do, right? We do. Never done, right? Never finished. So uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate um, our listeners. Once again, it's been the Culture Classroom with JT and John. Uh, thanks for tuning in. New episodes will be dropping hopefully every week now that we have a little bit more time. Football season's kind of died down. Uh, we can get this thing rocking and rolling. This is John Torrey. First of all, just want to say thank you for being a Culture Classroom listener. There's three ways that Coach Weaver and I need your help. The first is please subscribe to our show on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, or Spotify. Second, leave a rating or review to help us produce better podcasts and gain exposure in the future. Third, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CultureClass19. Once again, thank you for your support, and we hope to continue to provide outstanding content in the classroom.